Let's turn our attention now to Holy Scripture, and we'll be in 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 8 and following. And if you were new with us, 1 Peter is a letter written by the ancient missionary and apostle extraordinaire Peter to a group of struggling and scattered Christians that have been driven from their homes because of persecution. And he is seeking to shepherd and pastor them from afar. And by the power of the Holy Spirit, some 2,000 years later, he is doing the same for us today. Let's pray and we'll get to work. Holy Spirit, we ask that you would come and illuminate these texts to us. We ask that we would be informed in our knowledge of Scripture, transformed by the renewing of our minds, conformed to the image of Christ, and recommissioned on the Great Commission. Lord, help me, frail as I am, to serve us well in this time. In Jesus' good name, amen. Well, the first thing that we have to deal with in this text, right off the bat, is how do we interpret it? And there are basically two schools of thought. The first school of thought looks at this passage and says, hey, this is a continuation of all of the submission discussion that we've been having over the past few weeks. We talked about it in regard to the government, then in regard to the workplace, and then in regard to the home. And so they look at this and they say, this is just fleshing that out further. There's another school of thought that looks at this and says, hey, these are independent commands. They are meant to give guidance to these Christians then and, of course, to us now. But it's really a new section. And the good news is, no matter which side of that discussion you come out on, we're essentially going to end up in the same place. It's going to be helpful to us to learn how to live uh, when we find ourselves on the wrong end of certain situations, but also at all times as well. So that being said, let's go ahead and jump into it here. Finally, all of you have unity of mind, sympathy, brotherly love, a tender heart, and a humble mind. <clears throat> so right off the bat, the first principle for us here is that Christians should be unified, sympathetic, loving, tender-hearted, and humble. And that first word there, finally, is a transitional word. It indicates to us that he is moving into this new section. He's drawing some things together, tying off what he said before, and now here on the home stretch, pay attention. And he addresses this to everyone. You see that there when he says, all of you. This is in contrast to how he just addressed husbands and wives and workers, slaves before that. But now he is opening the aperture wider and wants to make sure that everybody understands this is for them. And this command here to have unity of mind <coughs> means literally to think the same thing or to be like-minded. means sharing the same thoughts, attitudes, and thinking harmoniously. This would have been very important for them at this time <coughs> because they would have been spread out not gathering in one church uh, anymore, but in a probably a network of house church churches together. And he wants to make sure that they maintain the same kind of gospel harmony. But it's certainly a good word for us together today as well, because we are entering this new season as the COVID iceberg begins to thaw. So we hope we are moving back to more and more things in person as opposed to simply Zoom. And one of the big uh, opportunities that is before us as a church is to reopen our children's ministry. And that is going to require a lot of work from a lot of people. It's glorious work. It's work that's going to matter in 10,000 years. But we need to be unified around this. This is an important aspect of our ministry. And when we uh, clearly identify, here's what we need you to do, which we will be doing over the next couple of weeks, we need everybody to step up and play their part <coughs> as best they can, whatever that is. For many people, it will be returning to that environment to teach the kids, but for others it may be to be a hall monitor or whatever the need is. 
But the point is, we need to be unified and move together as a church as the Lord opens that door. Now, what about some of the other terms that are here as well? Sympathy. I think we all know what that means. It means a gospel care and compassion for others should be a natural implication of the gospel itself. Brotherly love. This idea here of loving one another like Jesus talked about in John chapter 17. He said, they will know that we are Christians by our love. Tenderheartedness. That is something that is hard to come by in our day because there's so much callousness in the world and so much difficulty that we all endure and are subjected to in the media and so on. It's very easy to fall into that same callous pattern as well. But I think what the gospel would call us to would be more in line with what a mentor of mine taught me along the way. He said, your goal is to be tough, but to be tender hearted. And I think that's a good word for us today and a word that Peter would encourage all of us toward. And then finally, a humble mind, a gentle, general outlook of humility. Let's stop and think about all of this in the past year. We've needed those qualities to get to where we are, but we also need them for where we are. Because so many in our body, so many in the general world around us are struggling. This has been a hard year. You have lost people that you know from COVID, from other illnesses in the past year, and your brothers and sisters in this church have as well. And we need to be gentle and sympathetic and brotherly love needs to be our highest banner as we seek to continue through this season. And so my encouragement for all of us today would be that we hear this text and we think about concrete, practical ways that we can cultivate this in our midst, in our community groups, and beyond. So part of how I want us to apply this this week is to think about some concrete ways that we can show brotherly love and sympathy and humble-minded tender-heartedness toward one another. And I think God will be glorified by that. I think that it will be good gospel ministry among one another as we seek to live into that. And we will get to see good things emerge within the church and beyond the church as we pursue those ideas. Now let's take a look at verse 9. Do not repay evil for evil or reviling for reviling, but on the contrary, bless. For to this you were called that you may obtain a blessing. So the second principle, Christians should not seek to get even when they are wronged, but should seek to bless others (coughs) instead. Now, we've seen this command once before in the book. And for Peter to bring it up a second time, it shows us that it's very important to him. It shows us that it is very needed to hear over and over and over, particularly in a season of persecution. Because what is our natural response when someone wrongs us? Well, it's to turn around and want to wrong them in return, isn't it? But what does Jesus teach in the Gospels? To turn the other cheek. And what is it that Paul and the other writers teach? It's the same kind of idea that Peter is laying out here. (coughs) And when this word is used here for blessing, it means to speak well of, to eulogize. And this could take shape in a variety of ways. At a minimum... I think it means that we pray for those that persecute us. But beyond that, there can be primary or there can be secondary ways <coughs> that we can seek their good, that we can seek ways to serve them, that we can seek ways to, to show them what only God can do through the gospel. 
We're humans, but we are supernaturally empowered by the Holy Spirit to live beyond what humanity has to offer in and of itself and its natural resources. And this kind of text requires that kind of intervention of the Holy Spirit. I remember hearing a story uh, when I was growing up. My dad talked about uh, this one guy who was a believer that he worked with, uh, who was in a, he was kind of a guy that other people picked on and so on and so forth. But he had such a good response when this kind of thing happened Uh, And it made a real gospel difference in the workplace in which they found themselves. And even now, some 30 years later, I'm telling you this story. And a lot of times we don't think about the little differences. They seem very small and insignificant to us. But as we live out the gospel, particularly in situations like this, where maybe forgiving someone that has deeply wronged you, These beyond ourselves kinds of situations, they have a unique impact in the life of uh, unbelievers in particular, but also in encouraging other believers that may be around as well. Because deep down, we know what Peter said, that is the call of the gospel. But being able to live that out practically in front of other people does have a unique witnessing effect both to unbelievers and believers, and that would have been particularly true in the season that they were in and also in our season as well. And so my encouragement to you would be obviously do what Peter is telling us to do, but do it within the power of the Holy Spirit, because this is not going to come naturally to you. And it's not going to be something that we can pull ourselves up by our bootstraps and simply make happen. We must depend upon the power (coughs) of the Holy Spirit to intervene and help us. And also look at the good news that's here, that when we do this, what does the word say? It says that you may obtain a blessing. Now, the scriptures don't specify exactly what kind of blessing that we would receive here. If it would be something in heaven, or if it would be uh, financial or relational or so on, But at that point, it really doesn't even matter because there's a clear command and God does bless obedience. And so we need to lean into that and know (laughs) that if we do what God is calling us to do within the power that God gives for us to do it, He is going to bless us in some way. Now, let me also say this uh, kind of practically. How do we live into this. Now, the the first most primary thing, and and what I told you just a second ago, you got to depend upon the Holy Spirit. Obviously, that's going to come through prayer. Uh, And and don't be afraid to pray in the moment when you get yourself in those situations. You wouldn't choose them, but you find yourself there. Just cry out to God silently, Holy Spirit, help me to not repay evil for evil, to not revile when I'm reviled. Help me to bless others even when I am cursed, so to speak. That's where it all starts, just crying out to God. God will help you. And I think another thing that you can do, even beforehand, is many of us, we can kind of see this stuff coming, right? You find yourself (coughs) in a situation with, you just know you're going to be around a difficult family member. There may be somebody in the workplace Uh, that just really pushes your buttons. Uh, There may be somebody that you interact with in the neighborhood 
maybe through uh, just various interactions on a sports team where you just know you're going to end up, you know, six, eight times out of 10 being on the wrong end of something like this. I've found it helpful in my own life that if I can prepare for that ahead of time, if I can know that going into it, and I can pray and prepare before I end up in that situation, then things often go better and there are often better outcomes. So I pray and prepare ahead of time, but then I also pray in the moment. And I think that if we live into that kind of uh, constant dependence upon the Holy Spirit, the Lord is going to use us, He's going to help us, and we're going to be able to do (coughs) what He's talking about here. And one other thing that the Holy Spirit will help us with is to call to mind certain texts that will help us to hang in there when the going gets tough. And in fact, that's exactly what Peter calls these believers to in the final three verses that we have here. Verses 10 through 12 are actually a quotation from Psalm 34. Let's read it together. For whoever desires to love life and see good days, let him keep his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking deceit. Let him turn away from evil and do good. Let him seek peace and pursue it. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and his ears are open to their prayer. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. (coughs) So third and final principle here, don't forget that God will reward faithfulness. Okay? What this text is, Actually, before I tell you what it is, let me point out one other thing here. Time and time again in this book, Peter has used the Old Testament to great help for his people. And my encouragement to you is you need to get to know the Old Testament. Most Christians that have been around in the past hundred years, we tend to be very, very, very New Testament heavy. And the Old Testament is filled with stories of God's faithfulness, of people living out what the New Testament talks about. And this is a wonderful example of this. Because if you look at the heading in your Bible, um, you're probably going to see something like this when it comes to Psalm 34. It says, of David, so it means it's about David, written by David, "When uh, when he changed his behavior before Abimelech so that he drove him out and he went away. And that psalm that he quotes from here uh, was written when David was under great duress. Uh, and, and this group of people to which Peter, uh, to whom Peter is speaking, they're under great duress. <coughs> and he holds up David as a response here uh, to, to this is how you should respond in this way. This is a wonderful example of how you should behave when you find yourself in a David-like situation. <coughs> and what David, there were two times in his life when he really lived this out, and they both had to do with Saul. I mean, there were probably other examples, but I think this is what's on Peter's mind here. And the Preach the Word commentary uh, is very helpful in pointing this out. Uh, it, that When you look at Psalm 34, you think about the fact that David, uh, who, who should be the king, he's the one that the, the Lord has anointed uh, to, to be the king, and then, you know, Saul is in place and had d- departed from following uh, God's path for the kingdom and so on. And he is pursuing David, uh, trying to kill him. And yet in the midst of all this, 
<coughs> David has two different opportunities in which he could have killed him. And from a simply fleshly standpoint, I don't think anybody would have faulted him. But yet, in the midst of all this, he uh, basically lets Saul go. He makes him aware that he could have taken his life, but he did not do so. <coughs> and in 1 Samuel 24, uh, Saul says this. He says, Is this your voice, my son David? You are more righteous than I, for you have repaid me good, whereas I have repaid you evil. So may the Lord reward you with good <coughs> for what you have done to me on this day. So you see why Peter would use this passage. It's almost the exact same language that he is telling them. Uh, Saul is saying here, listen, you could have repaid evil for evil and you didn't. And because, even though I'm not listening to what God says right now, I know how God works, God is going to bless you for that. And then there's another one <coughs> a couple chapters later, 1 Samuel 26. The Lord rewards every man for his righteousness and his faithfulness. Blessed be you, my son David. So right here in shoe leather, in classic detail, you get to see exactly what Peter is saying, that the Lord rewards faithfulness. And those are the kind of texts that we need to call to mind when we find ourselves in those situations where we're being persecuted, where other people are, are being mean to us that we're trying to be nice to, that we have to <clears throat> look beyond this moment and say, hey, listen, even if I have to take one on the chin, take one for the team right here uh, and be maligned, there is a day coming uh, where there is going to be reward for for me doing what God wants to happen in this moment by the power that God provides. And so that looking forward to eternal reward uh, is a help. It's a reminder. <coughs> and it also um, will help us keep going. So let's bring all this together. And I tell you what, if you look at this passage, do we not just see Jesus all over it? Do we not just see uh, Jesus uh, in the commands that are given that he, he is reviled in every way possible. And what does he do? He doesn't revile in return. <clears throat> you look at the story here with David. He is the true and better David. Uh, he had the opportunity. He could have destroyed any of his captors, any of the false uh, and wicked judges that carried him off uh, to be crucified, all of that. And instead, he, uh, even as he's given his very life in the end, says, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. I mean, Jesus is the ultimate example of how to live in light of what we're talking about today. But remember, friends, he's not just an example for us. He's also an empowerment for us that he, through his spirit, by his word, <coughs> within the context of his community, in the local church, He is giving us what we need to be able to live out this text. And so I want to close today by asking us to think on Jesus. Let's meditate on Jesus. Let's worship Jesus for all of the great things that He is and all of the great things that He has done. And let's also ask Jesus for His help. He wants to help us. He will help us. And let's go to him now and ask for that. Lord, we come this morning and we thank you for this passage.
We thank you for the good news that is within it and also how it points us to our need for the good news and the ongoing help that you provide because of it. Lord, we are humbled by our failures, but even more, we are humbled by your immense and amazing love for us. So Lord, we thank you for everything that you've given us, and we thank you for the help that you will provide to us even now. In Jesus' good name, amen.